All right, how are we doing tonight? Yeah. Man, we are, uh, we're so pumped that all of you are here. It's so good to see your faces. Uh, if this is your very first time to M12, we want to say a big, big welcome to you. Glad that you're hanging out with us tonight. And you actually caught us at a good point because this is the beginning of a brand new series called Sola. Called Sola. And this whole series is centered around one idea about a worldview. Okay, it's all about a worldview. Now, now when I say worldview, uh, I know some of you in this room might know what that is. Some of you uh, maybe don't. And so I want to help you out. And so we're all going to get on the same page, get this definition. And we're about to go deep. Okay, you ready? We're going we're gonna to dive in real quick. This might be too deep for some of you, but I think you can handle it. All right, here's what a worldview is. <clears throat> it is how you view the world. Crazy, right? I know, I know. Let me slow down. Here it is. Uh, a worldview is how you view the world. Now, that's a pretty good definition, but I think there's a better one. This is actually my favorite definition. Here's what a worldview is. Worldview is how you define normal. How you define normal. Because there are some things that you see and you're like, that's totally normal. That makes sense to me. And then you see other things and you're like, that is strange and that's weird. Like, why would anyone do that? Right? It's how we define normal. And here's the thing about a worldview is my worldview is going to be different from your worldview and your worldview is going to be different than her worldview and her worldview is going to be different from his worldview. All of us have a different worldview because our worldviews are shaped by the people we hang out with, the family we grew up in, the part of the country that we grew up in, how old we are, how young we are, how much money our parents have, how little money they have. All of that stuff shapes our worldview and it shapes what we think is normal and what we think is weird. So growing up, I thought that it was totally normal to put peanut butter in the refrigerator. Peanut butter in the refrigerator. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, uh, whenever my parents would come home from the grocery store and they would start putting away the groceries, they would take the peanut butter and immediately put it in the fridge. And I remember one time my mom said, well, if you don't put it in the fridge, then it'll separate and it'll go bad. And so to make sure the peanut butter doesn't go bad, you have to stick it in the fridge. So for me, putting peanut butter in the fridge was totally normal. Totally normal. Uh, it was also normal for me to hate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Because when you put peanut butter in the fridge, it basically turns into concrete. And when you have hard peanut butter and you try to put it on soft bread, it just destroys the bread. I mean, you end up with this, like, clump of bread mass with, like, peanut butter and a little bit of gel. Like, it looks more like a ball than an actual rectangle. It's awful. In fact, I remember I would, I would watch TV, and I'd watch these kids, like, eating their peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I remember watching it being like, nah, nah. They don't look like that. They don't, no, they look like a, like, a, like a massive ball of something weird. That's what a peanut butter and jelly sandwich looks like. I don't know what that is. Totally weird. Now, fast forward to my freshman year at UGA. Freshman year, I was rooming with a guy, and he got back from the grocery store, and he happened to pick up peanut butter, and as he's putting all of his stuff away, I noticed that he leaves the peanut butter out on the counter. And so, me, being a good roommate, I'm chilling on the couch, and I'm like, hey, bro, um, you left the peanut butter out, so just trying to help you out. He was like, what? So, yeah, 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 you left, like, you didn't put the peanut butter in the fridge, so whenever you want to do that, it's fine. He's like, peanut butter in the fridge? Why would anyone put peanut butter in the fridge? And I thought he was joking with me. 
She's like, bro, come on. Everyone knows you put peanut butter in the fridge. Otherwise, it'll separate and go bad. Come on. Everyone does that. So can you please put the peanut butter in the fridge? And he just starts laughing. And he's laughing at me. And he says, I bet if we leave this peanut butter out, then after a week, it'll be fine. I promise it'll be fine. And I'm thinking, whatever, dude, it's your peanut butter. Like, if you want to waste perfectly good peanut butter, that's fine. Well, sure enough, a week later, we get there, and the peanut butter is just fine. It's perfectly normal. In fact, I watched him spread peanut butter on bread, and I realized why they called it peanut butter, because it spread like butter. And it all made sense to me, and I realized my childhood was damaged because I never had a real peanut butter and jelly sandwich until I was 18 years old. It was awful. But see, for me, putting peanut butter in the fridge was perfectly normal. And to do otherwise was really weird because that was my worldview. Like, that's how I defined normal. That's what I thought was normal. And so I know there's some people in this room, uh, you, you absolutely love sweet tea. Anyone just like, you're crazy about something? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We're in the South. Sweet tea, nectar of the angels, right? Like, you're, you're, you're pretty convinced that like the banqueting table in heaven will feature just a giant gallon jug of sweet tea just for you. Like it's so, in fact, maybe you even believe people that don't like sweet tea are like still in sin and they need to repent and go to church because sweet tea is just the greatest. Now... Now, here's the deal. If you take your sweet tea loving self and you travel up north to Maine and you ask for a glass of sweet tea, you know what they're going to give you? They're going to give you this. Ness tea. Ness tea. Awful. See, see because the people that live in Maine, their worldview is that sweet tea and Ness tea are the exact same thing. And apparently they also don't have taste buds up in Maine because that stuff is gross. Like, I don't, I don't think, like, have you noticed Nest Tea sounds a lot like nasty. I'm just saying, I'm just, like the people that made it, they knew it was nasty. That's why they called it that. Because see, that's, that's their worldview. And see, his worldview is that he loves Nest Tea and we're all judging him because of it. We're judging him hard. See, because, because your worldview, your worldview is how you define normal. And so the whole point of this series is we just want to answer one question. For the next four weeks, we just want to answer this one question. Here it is. What is our Christian worldview? What is our Christian worldview? Here's another way to put it. Uh, how does God define normal? How does God define normal? Because, see, there's people in this room that a few weeks ago you made a decision to follow after Jesus. Or maybe, or maybe for you it was like three or four months ago. Uh, or whatever it was, you made a decision and you said, I'm going to follow Jesus, no turning back, I'm all in, like I want to follow Jesus. And then kind of in the back of your head you're thinking, so now what? So like I've made the decision, but, but like now what's, what's going to be different? Like how is my, what does my worldview look like now with someone who's trying to, to follow after God. What does God define as normal? And so as we're tackling this question, there's, there, there's one place that we have to start. Because if, if God defines normal for us in this room, if God defines normal, then how do we know when God is speaking? If, if God is the one who's giving us 
his definition of normal, then how do we know when God is speaking? Because, it, because if you made a decision to follow after Jesus, and you're all in and you want to follow after Jesus, you've got to know what he's saying. Because if he's leading the way, then you have to listen to his voice. And if you don't know what his voice sounds like and how he speaks, you're not going to be able to follow him. And so you're committed to following him. But how do we know, how do we know what God is saying? How do we know when God is speaking to us? How do I know? How do I know that it's from God's mouth, not my mind? How do I know it's from God's mouth, not my mind? Now, this question, by the way, this is, this is a huge, huge topic for discussion. It's something that people have been wrestling with literally for thousands of years, trying to figure out how do we know, how do we know when God is speaking? See, some people think that the primary way that God speaks is through tradition. In other words, uh, if it was good enough for grandma, it's good enough for me, right? Like, because grandma loved Jesus, and so if she loved Jesus, and she heard from God, then whatever she did is what I should do. Whatever she did is what I should do. After all, there are many Christians that have gone before us, following after God, hearing from God, supposedly. So why don't we just do things their way? Let's just do whatever they did back in the day, because apparently they were hearing from God, because God speaks through tradition. These are the people that uh, on Sunday morning, they, they sing from a hymnal, and they, and they turn to page 333, right, which is Amazing Grace, obviously, everyone knows that, and so you're in 333, and then they say, sing the first, second, and last verse, I don't know why you skipped the third verse, apparently that's evil, but hey, that's the way Grandma did it, okay, so we're going to sing those verses, and then God's going to speak to us through that, because that is the way that God speaks, through tradition. Whatever people did before, that's what people do now. Because we think God speaks through tradition. Or maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you think the primary way, the main way that God speaks is through dreams. It's through our subconscious. Like, like while we're sleeping, God is speaking to us. And you talk about the story of, of Joseph. He had 12 brothers and he had a dream from God where God said that they're all going to bow down to Joseph. And then sure enough, many years later, all of his brothers bowed down to him. God spoke through a dream. And Peter Peter had a dream where God said, do this, but don't do this. And so obviously, if God spoke through, uh, through dreams for Peter, and he spoke through dreams for Joseph, then he must speak through dreams all the time. And so whenever we have a dream, we got to figure out what God is saying, because God's saying something, because all dreams are from God. Or maybe, maybe for you, you think the primary way, the main way God speaks is through emotion. It's, th it's, it's through the way that I feel. And so, and so you come on a Thursday night, and we're singing these songs, and you're feeling really good, and, and, so, and, and so maybe like you raise your hands, or you raise your hands just a little bit, and you start feeling even better, and you're thinking, God is speaking to me. God is saying how much he loves me, because I feel so good. I just feel God right now. God is speaking to me. I'm feeling God. And so you think emotion is the primary way that he speaks. And so then when it's, when it's Saturday and you feel bad, you think that that's God speaking to you too. You think that, that when you feel shame and guilt, that that's God wanting you to feel bad about yourself. Or maybe, or maybe you think that you feel bad because, like a few weeks ago, I did something that God probably didn't like, and so that's probably why I'm feeling bad, because God's telling me that he doesn't like me right now. And so that's the way I'm feeling, and the primary way that God speaks is through emotion, so God must be saying that he doesn't really like me. I hope I feel better, because once I feel better, then I'll know that God is speaking to me, saying that he loves me. So you think it's emotion. Or maybe you think that the primary way, the main way that God speaks is through people like me. They get up on a stage and they get a microphone and someone like PK and they're speaking and God must be speaking through us. 
Because after all, we're on a stage and our voice is louder than anyone else's voice, so God must be speaking. This must be the primary way that God speaks to us. So whatever I say is God speaking to you. Maybe some of you think that. So which one is it? What is the primary way that God speaks? How do we know? How do we know when it's God speaking? And so the answer to this question is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I want to look there together. Uh, You can grab your Bibles right under your chairs. 2 Timothy chapter 3 on page 1,199. 1,199. And this is a pretty, uh, this is a really cool letter. A guy named Paul wrote to uh, a guy he was mentoring named Timothy. Paul went around and he planted all these different churches. And he planted one in Ephesus, which was a city. And he put his friend named Timothy as the pastor for the church in Ephesus. And so now he's writing to Timothy, reminding Timothy, Timothy, remember, you follow after God. So God is the one who defines your normal. Remember, your worldview is different. Your worldview is different than everyone else's worldview. And so this is what he says, starting in verse 14 of chapter 3. But as for you, saying, hey, remember, you're different. As for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. In other words, remember people like me that taught these things to you. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, In Christ Jesus. In other words, how do we know that God actually loves us? How do we know that God actually saved us? How do we know that Jesus actually died on the cross for us? And then he makes it crystal clear in verse 16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Is God-breathed. Man, I love, I love that phrase. All scripture is God-breathed. That means all scripture is from the mouth of God. All scripture is God talking. All scripture is God speaking. So, so, so how do we know when God is actually talking to us, when it's from his mouth, not our brain? Scripture. It's scripture. The Bible you are holding in your hands is God speaking directly to you. All scripture, all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God speaking to you. Now, now, can God, can God speak through tradition? Yeah, he can. Can, can God speak through dreams? He can, and he has. Can Can God speak to us through our emotions? Yeah. But notice, it does not say all tradition is God-breathed. That means that sometimes, sometimes tradition got it wrong. Sometimes the way people did things back in the day wasn't what God actually wanted them to do. Sometimes tradition got it wrong. Because it doesn't say all tradition is God-breathed. Also, it doesn't say all dreams are God-breathed. That means sometimes when you have a dream, it's from God. And other times when you have a dream, it's from that weird piece of cheesecake that you ate yesterday. And it's just stirring around, and that's why you have that crazy weird dream. Because some dreams, yeah, they could be from God. But this doesn't say all dreams are God-breathed. 
And this is huge. It does not say all emotion is God-breathed. It doesn't say all emotion is God-breathed. That means sometimes you feel good about a decision that you've made, but that's not God. That's not God giving you a thumbs up. Sometimes you feel really bad about yourself. You feel like there's all this shame and there's all this guilt and God must not love me. That's not from God either. It's not. In other words, sometimes, sometimes your emotions can actually lead you astray. You feel bad when God doesn't want you to feel bad and you feel good when you shouldn't feel good. Because it doesn't say all emotion is God-breathed. It says all scripture, all scripture. And so, so if we're following after God and we want his worldview, we want him to define normal, and we want to know when it's definitively actually God speaking. Like how do we know when it's from the mouth of God, how do we know that the God of the universe is actually communicating to us? We have a way, and it's scripture. See, sola, sola scriptura, means scripture alone is our highest priority. It's our highest authority. That means, that means it trumps everything else. That means it trumps your emotions. It trumps what you're feeling. It trumps what your friends are saying. It trumps your circumstances. It trumps, uh, it trumps tradition. It trumps dreams. Scripture alone is our highest priority. That's how we know when God is speaking. Scripture goes before anything else. In other words... Scripture is bay. That's right. Scripture is bay. You can write that down. You can tweet it at Steve Walton. No big deal. Scripture is bay. Because when we're making a decision, when we're asking ourselves the question, how do we know when God is speaking? Scripture is before anything or anyone else. Scripture is our highest priority. Scripture is bay. See, uh, many years ago, I made a decision that wasn't a good decision. Um, it was actually a decision that I later regretted. And I lied to cover it up. Uh, and I even, I even confided in some of my friends. I told them what I had done. And they gave me advice. They said, oh, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't tell those people. Because if you tell those people then you're going to hurt those people. And you don't want to hurt those people. And so, and so you need to lie. You need to lie. Man, just don't tell them. You need to lie to cover that up. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I mean after all, God wants me to love people, right? And if God wants me to love people, um, then I need to keep from hurting them. And if this is going to hurt them, then I should lie to cover it up so I don't hurt them because after all I want to love them and so maybe maybe in this one situation God wants me to lie or I mean I know he doesn't want me to lie but like maybe he's okay with it because after all if I were to tell the truth I'm going to hurt them and if I hurt them then then then, then, then I'm not going to love them and so I want to make sure that I don't love them and so I need to lie I need to lie but just this once I'm not going to do it again but just this one time I just I just need to do this and so I convinced myself that this was a good idea and all of my emotions felt like this was right. It did. And all my friends were telling me this was the right decision. And so I felt good about lying. And then the next day, I got up in the morning to uh, read scripture. And I was doing this thing where I read a chapter a day, and I just happened to be in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I got to Ephesians chapter 4. 
the day after I made the decision to lie. And, and you don't have to turn there. They're actually going to put some of the verses on the screen. Um, this is the first verse that kind of stuck out to me. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 3. It says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Yeah. Yeah, see, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to keep unity, right? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make sure there's a bond of peace. I don't want to hurt anyone. I want to keep the bond of peace. And then I kept reading. I got to verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the ways and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Okay, that felt a little close to home. And then verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Okay, that's probably taken out of context, the whole speaking the truth thing. So we'll just keep reading. Then I got to verse 25. Therefore, so this is like, let's sum up everything that we're reading. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Cool. Thanks, God. Uh, That's okay. We'll talk later. Appreciate your insight, but I think we're good. (laughs) Think we're good. See, in that moment, In that moment, my friends were telling me that lying was what God was telling me to do. And my emotions were telling me that lying is what God was telling me to do. But Scripture, Scripture said otherwise. And see, Scripture is our highest priority, so it trumps my friends, and it trumps my emotions, and it trumps tradition, and it trumps my dreams. Scripture is how I know, I know, I know that God is speaking. It was as if the words were leaping off the page and God himself was saying, Steve, be honest, man. Don't lie. Don't lie. Come on, man. You got to speak the truth in love. That was God speaking to me. All scripture is God breathed. And if you're selfish, like I'm selfish, then you're going to love the next part of this verse. It says, All scripture is God breathed and is useful is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Did you know, (laughs) did you know that if you actually pay attention to the principles outlined in Scripture, you will actually have a full life? Like, you will have a life filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with fulfillment. You will have a full life. Because scripture is not just from the mouth of God, which it is, but it's useful. It's helpful for us. Has anyone, uh, uh, has anyone ever made a decision that you later regretted? Anyone ever done something that like you later regretted? Everyone, is everyone raising your hand or are some people lying? Okay, good. Yeah, so we've all, we've all made decisions that we've later regretted. Now here's the thing I love about regret. Regret proves to us that we don't know what's best for us. Regret proves to us that we don't know what's best for us. Because all of us in this room want to have a full life, right? Like, we all want to have a life full of joy, peace, deep, lasting friendships. Like, we want to have the best life possible. And so if we all want to have the best life possible, then why is it that sometimes we make decisions that we later regret? It's because we don't know what's best for us. And so even though we want this great life, we end up making the wrong decisions because we don't know what's best. And so this verse says, Scripture, God speaking to us is useful. And here's why it's useful. Because there is a God, 
And that God is bigger than you can possibly imagine. He's bigger than any galaxy that you've seen, any tree outside, any star in the sky, any friends that you have. He, he created everything. Everything is under his dominion. Uh, he cre- like he is this almighty, powerful, incredible God. And so this God that created everything, he knows, he knows what brings things to life and what kills things. He knows that. He knows what brings people joy. He knows what brings people fulfillment. In fact, did you know, did you know that God invented the smile? Like God made that up. He just thought of it one day. Hey, smiling, that's cool. Let's do that. God invented that. So God invented joy, peace, fulfillment. He's got all of that in this hand available to you. And then that same God that created everything actually sent his only son to die for you. To die for you. In other words, he loved you so much that he was willing to make the greatest sacrifice any of us could ever imagine for you. Because he loves you. So why? Why would the God who went through such great lengths to save you not want to give you a good life? Why would that great God not want to give you a life that is full? See, God is able to give you joy, peace, fulfillment, and he died to prove to you that he actually cares about you. Like, did you know that if you flee, if you flee from sexual immorality, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, you will actually have deeper relationships with people. And your marriage has a better chance of succeeding when you grow up. Did you know that if you speak the truth to one another, like it says in that verse, your friends will actually trust you and they'll actually like you more? Isn't that crazy? So, so you're saying by listening to the principles outlined in Scripture, then my friends might actually like me more? Yeah. Because God created relationship. He knows how that works. And so it's useful. See, unfortunately, we look at the Bible and we look at this thing as a big, like, giant list of do's and don'ts. Of God saying, you're wrong and you need to change this and you can't have any fun and make sure you don't do this. And we feel like scripture is going to box us in and it's just God like punishing us and telling us how terrible we are and how we need to change and how awful we are. And we think that scripture is just, is just God's punishment for us. But scripture is not for our punishment. It's for our protection. Scripture is not for our punishment. It's for our protection. It's because there is a God that loves you so deeply that he wants to protect you so that you can have the fullest life possible. See, Scripture is our highest authority. It's how we know definitively that God is speaking to us. And, and, it actually brings us protection, not punishment. And so here's the deal. If you don't read scripture and if you don't know scripture then you won't know what God is saying if you don't read scripture and you don't know scripture then you will not know what God is saying and so my challenge to you my challenge to you is to read scripture is to read what God is saying to you in fact in fact my challenge is 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 this i want you to spend 5 minutes 5 minutes every day reading scripture. Five minutes. That's it. Uh, By the way, I did some math. There are 1,440 minutes in every day. 
okay? Like 1,440 minutes. I'm just asking for five. Just five. Five minutes every day. And believe it or not, it's better that you read five minutes every day for a week than just one day a week reading an hour. Because consistency is key. Just five minutes every day reading scripture. Now, I know that when I say read scripture, for some of you in the room, that sounds kind of scary. That sounds a little daunting. Maybe you're thinking, if this is like, if this is God speaking to me, then that's like, where do I begin? Like, how do I even start? And so I want to help as much as I can. Um, So if you don't know where to start, I would recommend that you start with the book of Luke. Um, Read five minutes every day, and I would recommend you read one chapter of Luke. So one chapter of Luke, five minutes every day. And when you read, when you read, I want you to ask two questions, okay? Here are the two questions. I want you to ask, what do these verses say about God? So as you're reading through Luke, got through a chapter, what do these verses say about God? And then number two, God, God, what are you saying to me? So first, what do these verses say about God? Maybe, maybe the verses talk about the fact that he is kind, or he is patient, or he loves us. Or maybe it's that God is angry, or that God is just, or that God is righteous, or that he's powerful. What do these verses that I'm reading say about God? And then finally, God, God, if this really is you speaking to me, then God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Five minutes every day. That's it. Now, that is level one. That's like entry level. That's beginner. That's where we're going to start. But I know some of you, and I know we have some overachievers in the room. Some people that like, man, I got 175 on Flappy Bird, like give me the next level. Like, like I am ready to just go ham on this thing, okay? So if that's you, this is level two, okay? This is level two. Five minutes every day, one chapter of Luke, ask these two questions, but write down the answers. Actually write down the answers. You can write it down on a note card. You can write it down on a sheet of paper. Uh, You can write it down like in a journal. You can go to the store and buy a journal. You can just have a bunch of like papers kind of clumped together. Uh, But write down the answer. Okay, so let's say, let's say you're reading the story of when Jesus and his disciples were in the boat and the waves were like going crazy on the boat and the boat was about to sink. And so the disciples are flipping out, and they're like, Jesus, 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 you need to save us. This is unreal. And so then they get Jesus up to the top, and then he looks at the waves, and he says, hey, hey, waves, chill out. And they just go, woo, and the waves calm down. And so maybe you read that, and the first thing is, what do these verses say about God? Well, okay, it says that God is bigger than the waves. And then maybe you take that a step further, God is bigger than creation. Okay, what do these verses say about God? It says that God is bigger than creation. And then the next question, God, what are you saying to me? So you think about it. You think maybe God is saying that he is bigger than anything I'm going through. And so even though my parents are fighting, God is bigger than that. 
And even though my friends are making fun of me, and even though I'm like no longer in the cool clique that I was once in before, and now I'm in this other clique, and I'm not sure if I like it that much, God is bigger than that. And maybe, maybe if God could calm the seas, make it, maybe he can like calm the seas in my life too. And so write that down. And do that for six days in a row. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then when you get to the seventh day, instead of reading scripture, go back through what you read. Again, just five minutes every day, go back through what you read. So six days of reading, writing down the answers to this question, and then go back through what you read. Now, I, I would never ask any of you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so what, what I'm saying to you right now is something that I've been doing ever since uh, I started following Jesus. My student pastor told me about this. And he actually gave me my very first journal. And I've got it here for you. So this is, this is it. It's uh, like super ratty and uh, my handwriting was awful. Uh, this is my little 12-year-old handwriting. And I misspelled so much stuff. Like I, like I read through it a few days ago and it was bad. It was really, in fact, like some of my misspellings were other real words. Like I misspelled one word and instead wrote another word and I'm positive I did not mean that word because it meant something totally different. Uh, and so I was reading through it and um, I was actually reading through the book of Matthew uh, for this journal. And so if it's okay with you, I just want to read uh, from when I was 12, shortly after I started following after Jesus, this, is, this was the five minutes that I spent with God. It's from Matthew chapter 27. Jesus was turned away by the people he would soon save. And he did not call for God to rescue him because he loves us that much. Even soldiers mocked and made fun of him, but he stayed calm. He could have come down from the cross, but he stayed. And then when he cried out and died, the earth shook and rocks split apart. And some people realized he is the son of God. But others still did not believe he would be raised from the dead. Dot, dot, dot. They were wrong. That's what I put. It was like a cliffhanger. All right, so next day, chapter 28. Jesus has been raised from the dead, exclamation point. How glad I am to know that my God loves me so much, he would send his son to die. He will always be with us, even to the end of the age. This was God speaking to me. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Like the God of the universe, the God that is way too busy for me, right? He spoke to me. He spoke to me. And I know definitively this was God to me telling me that he loved me. See, Scripture is our highest authority. It's how we know that God is speaking for us, to us. And this is how we know God actually loves us. Because, see, it's one thing for you to hear me tell you that God loves you, and that's true. That's true. God does love you. But it is a totally different thing when you hear God tell you he loves you. That will change your life. And here's the deal, when it comes to, when it comes to reading scripture, uh, my goal is not that you become uh, in love with scripture, that you just fall in love with scripture. 
like scripture is so good I love reading scripture and like now I'm an expert so I know that in John 11 Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and it was awesome like that's not what I want I don't want you to be an expert I don't want you to fall in love with scripture I want you to fall in love with the author of scripture because this is God's love letter to you telling you how much he actually cares about you Scripture is our highest authority. So will you take five minutes, just five minutes, and read Scripture? Let me pray for you. God, I, uh, I'm so grateful that you actually do love us. And how wonderful are those times when your voice seems clear to me. And it's so good to know that even when friends fail and when our emotions fail and when our surroundings fail, that we can go to Scripture and know that you are speaking to us. So I don't even know, um, I don't even know if like this is allowed, but I want to beg you right now that you would convince these students to spend time reading Scripture. Would you convince them, please, Jesus, to read Scripture? Not in hopes that they would fall in love with Scripture, but in hopes that they would fall in love with you, the author of Scripture. So we love you so very much, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.